Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. I've been doing this show now for several years, and when I began, it was difficult to find topics. Not because I did not know how to locate them, they just didn't exist in the multitude they exist today. I mean, everything breaks. Every day we got Trump is responsible for part of it, but we've got all kinds of news going on all over the world. And now the problem is not to find something to talk about, but to select that which I believe might be the most interesting to you. Just wanted to share that with you. Got a lot of stuff tonight. I think it's all interesting, exciting, et cetera, et cetera. I want to start with Harvey. The worst of the worst, this hurricane. Epic proportions. Hard to believe. A category four. Huge. Ah, and all this rain. This rain, which we've never seen before like this. From what I understand from watching television and Channel 27 and the Weather Channel, this is because of global warming, which I thought had nothing to do with the hurricane. But it seems if the water's extra warm and our ocean waters have become extra warm, this contributes to lengthy hurricanes and a lot of rain accompanying them. And we are going to see more of them. Terrible. I hope we don't get hit here in Key West. I've seen enough of it here. Anyhow, one thing of importance. Something has become evident during the last few days of uh, Harvey and the Texas Gulf, Texas Gulf Coast, Corpus Christi, uh, and so forth, Houston. And it made me think of something that I thought did not exist anymore. And that is the goodness of the American people. The goodness of the American people. Neighbor helping neighbor. Stranger helping someone in need. Uh, And one other item that's impressed me or garnered my attention this past week is the character, the character, cool word, good word, the character of those involved, those suffering, those helping. Uh, I thought that we'd lost that in this country to character. People did not have the character that I saw as I was growing up. I remember I'm 82 years old. Even when I was 40, 50 years old, there was character out there. We seem to have been losing character in our people, and maybe that includes me. I don't know. Well, devastating as this hurricane has been, uh, the people of America come out winners, even those on the Texas Gulf and Houston and Corpus Christi, because it has established, once again, we didn't know this, and you can't tell me you knew this all the time, that we are a good people. We are God-fearing. We are strong. This means to me, and I'm sure it means to you, we will survive as a nation because I'm not ashamed to say that with all the problems we have had in recent times, I have begun questioning whether we could survive as a nation. Life goes on during these hurricanes, during these terrible storms, during these tragedies. Uh, Babies get born. Now, we're into our fourth or fifth day of the hurricane of Harvey. 
the area, the number of people, I don't know how many people live in that area. There's got to be a few million. Houston is the fourth largest city in the United States, and that isn't the only place being affected here. Well, babies have to be born. There have to be a lot of babies born the last four or five days. And under all these adverse conditions, I mean, you've got to boat people from their rooftops, off their cars, out of their homes. What's happening to the babies being born? Well, interestingly, I could only come across one, one reported case so far, and I'm sure there's a multitude of babies being born. Apparently, other things were more important reporting on the situation as it was developing in Texas. But let me tell you about the one baby that has been reported so far, Corpus Christi. <clears throat> the mother was in pain. <laughs> well, that's childbirth, tremendous labor pains. Second floor of her house, they had to evacuate the first floor because of the water. Uh, she and her husband and some friends are on the second floor. There was no time, no boat to leave to get to the hospital, no boat. Did you catch that? <clears throat> they were in complete darkness. Electricity had gone. The only light came from cell phones some people were holding. Her husband, with the assistance of some friends, delivered the baby. You say, how wonderful. The only problem was the baby was not breathing. Now, the paramedics' help had been called, but they weren't there. The father did as much as he could. Uh, within two or three minutes, not a long time, but a long time if this is your baby, a long time when it comes to life and being without uh, air. Within two or three minutes, the paramedics were there. They knew what they were doing. The baby started breathing, screaming, kicking, and everybody was happy. The uh, Everybody was taken down to the boats, the mother and the child, put in a boat and taken, I don't know where, either to a hospital someplace or some facility that could care for them. And we had a new birth, a new life that survived this tragedy. The baby's name. Kalalia, Kalalia, Kalalia Rose, Kalalia Rose, six pounds, nine ounces. God was good. God bless her. We haven't heard many bad things coming out of Harvey. You know, normally people say, well, the city screwed up, the cops screwed up, the firemen screwed up, the Coast Guard screwed up. Uh, my neighbors screwed up. Uh, where were the boats? Where, where's the food? Where's the helicopters? There's always something negative. You haven't heard negative in this situation, in this disaster, except in one instance. And I, I, I found it very tragic, uh, very disconcerting. And I call it the Twitter punching bag. Twitter punching bag because the individual... Uh, that I'm going to discuss with you, got the shit knocked out of him uh, over Twitter. Joel Osteen, you know who Joel Osteen is. He's that Houston uh, minister. He, I watch him occasionally. I watch morning, I watch, um, uh, hell, what do I watch Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock? Uh, the news on NBC. I've got a mental block. At 11 o'clock following that show is... Uh, Joel Osteen, and, you know, he talks, and he's he's a modern-type uh, minister. And very interesting, and uh, I've been hooked on him, but not every Sunday. Uh, now, his church is 606,000 square feet, located in Houston. 
It seats 16,000, I'm sorry, 16,800 people, and it is packed every Sunday called Lakewood Church. Now, you would assume people are running to the church to have a safe place to stay while all this is going on because it's a big place, several stories high. Well, they weren't. And the reason is that Lakewood Church is prone to flooding, especially the first floor, which then, for some reason, can make the second and third floors collapse the way this place is constructed. Uh, The church was not locked up. It was never advertised as a shelter, though it's been accused of being locked up. Only three people even came by looking for assistance. Uh, Again, the first floor was flooded big time, and the reason I'm aware of this is it's been on television. I mean, it was flying. I started seeing it yesterday, I think, or the day before, videos and pictures on TV and on the social media showing, you know, the water knee high or higher on the first floor of the church, in the corridors in the church. Uh, Terrible, just like it looked out on the streets as we watched it. So the church could not be used for people because it was inaccessible to, to the severe flooding. However, the church did put out information saying we can't be a shelter because of this flooding. However, here are where the shelters are located and gave addresses. And here are the numbers you can call for emergency assistance. And they gave the numbers. And they did allow themselves to be used as a food distribution center, even though they couldn't take people in yet. Now, Yesterday, in anticipation of the water receding at some point, they started getting ready for what they assume was going to be a lot of people, which I assume were there tonight, and they start preparing the second floor halls. Apparently, these halls are huge, wide, and what they did was uh, they've laid out, they went out and got air mattresses. I don't know where the hell they found them. They need them in the thousands. They laid out air mattresses. They brought in more food, etc. At 4 o'clock this afternoon, stay with me, this gets good. At 4 o'clock this, or it gets bad. At 4 o'clock this afternoon, it was announced that the water had receded and the church had been designated a shelter and the people came swarming in. Well, this morning, all of a sudden on Twitter, comes pictures showing that the first floor of Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church, was dry. There was no water. And it was put on there by a pastor. I'm going to call him a competitive pastor. Apparently he's not as big as Joel Osteen. And he said, this guy's, in effect, bullshitting people. He could have taken them in. He did not want to take them in. Look at the pictures and the videos I have of dry floors, okay, and he locked his doors to keep people out, which is not true. The doors were never locked, as it turns out. And the only problem was the pictures that this opposing minister showed. Can you imagine ministers fighting each other? The pictures that this opposing minister showed were taken after the water had receded. And apparently he was unaware that there were pictures out there showing the water initially. Anyhow, that's the way the thing went. So the first bad story, the first negative to come out of this tragedy was Joel Osteen and his Lakewood church that he locked the doors, he didn't want people in there, and so forth. 
which was also all a lot of bullshit and a major lie, and has been cleaned up, and people are swarming to his church now for safety. I want to talk about Donald Trump, man of the hour. He's a man of the hour every day, ever since he got elected. Amazing. Uh, he's bankrupting the Secret Service. He is bankrupting the Secret Service. This is the story. You know, everybody's got a, you got so much money you can spend. You can't spend more than that. Your, your budget, it's anticipated beforehand. So much is allocated for Secret Service purposes. And then when you run hot, you got to wait till you get reimbursed. You get more money in the next budget. Anyhow, the Secret Service is over budget because of Donald Trump because of the size of his family, because of the many trips he takes, et cetera, et cetera. They have to provide protection to every home he has, and he, everything's a home with him. He goes to New Jersey to a club. He goes to a place in Florida. He goes otherwhere. He goes to Manhattan. He's got, what, uh, three children, three, one, two, three, four, three children, four children, four, I think. Uh, they have children. All these people must have Secret Service protection, understandably. Now, I wasn't aware of what I'm going to share with you. A Secret Service agent's salary is capped at $160,000 a year, $160,000 a year, including overtime. Because of the largeness of the family and the way it lives, there are more agents watching the Trump family than agents ever before with any other president 130 agents protecting them. Uh, most of the agents have already exceeded the salary cap of $160,000. What do you do? Do they stop working? No. They keep working. They're not getting paid for their overtime, which is excessive. It's the overtime that's killed this thing. Excessive. This you should know. Or you already know this, I think. This has been in the papers on television the last two or three weeks. You may already be aware uh, that the Trumps are breaking the bank. <laughs> They're breaking the back of the budget of the Social Security agents. Uh, and this you know. But what you don't know, perhaps, and this is why what I'm leaning up to and what I wanted to share with you, the agents, the Secret Service agents, claim they don't mind working under these circumstances. Everything will get balanced out in due course. What they do dislike, however, is being treated like servants by the Trump family. Yes, the Trump family is treating the Secret Service agents as servants. What else would you expect of them? Now we're going to talk about Trump and Venezuela. I love Venezuela. I've been talking about Venezuela, as you all know, for more than four years, ever since Maduro became president and he ran, the country ran out of toilet paper, then food, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to get into that tonight. What I want to do is discuss the fact that Trump, this past week, well, in the last couple of weeks, he has threatened to invade Venezuela. We're going to invade Venezuela. <laughs> How stupid. <laughs> Uh, he's not happy, he said, the way Maduro, the president, is treating the people. And this past week, as an indication assigned to Maduro, he better watch out, he imposed economic sanctions on Venezuela. That is already hurting. That's why the people aren't eating. They're not working. They don't have any food. Anyhow, Trump, 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 
is wrong doing this and imposing the sanctions. He's looking for a fight with a little country compared to ours, with a much less powerful country, one that can be easily defeated, okay? It's wrong for him to discuss, to think, to contemplate a fight, a war, uh, because it's not what he thinks it is. Venezuela is not our business. Hear me. What goes on in Venezuela does not concern the United States of America. Two reasons. One, Venezuela does not represent a threat to the United States. Not in any way. When did you ever feel you were going to get bombed by Venezuela? He's not the, they're not the people from North Korea. I mean, nobody's talking about going to war with us. Nobody's talking about anything. He's threatened. You don't do anything unless you're imminently threatened by an adversary. Then you do something if you so desire. And secondly, Venezuela's problem is really a civil one. These people are building up to a civil war. Eventually, it's going to be a civil war. It's getting closer and closer. The problem is, as we are divided in this country 50-50 politically, they're divided in Venezuela. You got Maduro's people and you got the opposition 50-50. Maduro has the army on his side, which helps, okay? They've had many protests. Hundreds of thousands of people appear in the streets in opposition to the president. But they haven't been fighting until the last one or two months, and done very slightly in the streets. Now they're getting a little porky, and you'll have fights with the with the police, with the with the uh, federales, with the army, uh, and there's some gun shooting and everything, but not big time yet. Still small. The reason has been the people who oppose Maduro and his ways have not had the balls to stand up to him and create. Have a civil war. This is what this situation is leading up to. This is what it has always been, a civil disturbance amongst two different groups in a country. It's none of our business. Not one American life should be shed for Venezuela. Not one drop of American blood. Now, let me share with you the real reason. I follow this Maduro. I follow Venezuela. I try to follow my president. The real reason why Trump wants to invade, okay, Venezuela. Oil. Venezuela has the largest petroleum reserve in the world. You heard me. The largest petroleum reserve in the world. Now, you have heard Trump talk about the following. He mentioned well, several weeks ago, Iraq. We had them. We beat them the first time. We should have stayed there and taken over the oil, kept the oil for ourselves. You heard him last week about North Korea. Look at all the minerals North Korea has. Whoever conquers them can use those minerals. North Korea does have unique minerals. They have the minerals of today, the minerals that are required of today, up for today, for computers, for cell phones, everything like that, that no other country really has in the volume they have. Even Russia wants the minerals in North Korea, all right? And he says we should go and we can have the minerals. Well, that's not the United States. We don't invade a country to take their oil or their minerals. Uh, they have to be a danger to us, that they're going to hurt us, come after us. If they're not, 
Why why would we invade them? Why would we put American lives in jeopardy? This is not the American way. But Trump isn't the American way, so maybe it is understandable. Okay, one more Trumpy. <laughs> I apologize, but, you know, he's in there every day. Sheriff Joe Arpaio's pardon, a disgrace. Lewis says it's a disgrace, the pardon given to the Phoenix, Arizona sheriff, who was recently convicted in federal court of contempt of court for the abuse he heaped upon Mexican immigrants and other immigrants over the years, the many years he was sheriff. Do you know what's coming out this week that he did? If he had an immigrant woman who was pregnant and delivering him, he had the women shackled during the delivery process. He had them shackled during the delivery process. Uh, I mean, he, he arrested people. He'd go up and say, where are your papers? you got no papers. You're arrested. He'd bring them over to the border and dump them over the border. Or he'd put them in jail, no lawyer, no brought before a judge, no rights. you got to understand, you're in this country. You may not be a citizen. You still have certain rights. He abused the law. He didn't like immigrants. He became a law unto himself. And Trump admires a person like that who's a law unto himself, who's a tough guy, because Donald Trump perceives himself as a tough individual. Well, let me start this way. I ask the question, does Trump have the power to to have granted Joe Arpaio a pardon? I'm not sure. Uh, The Constitution gives him broad power. In a few words, it says he's got the power to pardon. It doesn't limit it in any way. There is a Supreme Court decision decided more than 150 years ago in 1866 that says the president has broad powers before he's arrested, the person's arrested, during the arrest, uh, when arraigned, during the trial, after the trial, at any time the president can pardon anyone for a crime. It has to be a federal crime. Uh, interesting. The only trouble is, and I come back to being 82, and I've been I was a, I've been a lawyer now over 60 years, but I haven't I haven't practiced in about 10 or 12 years. I can I've never seen pardons issued this way. There has always been a procedure within the Justice Department. Uh, they have what is called a pardons section, and all modern presidents, and I don't know how far back that goes, maybe to Franklin Roosevelt, definitely from Eisenhower, from Truman on. Here's the way they pardon people. Understand, there are thousands of people who apply to be pardoned by the president every year. There are four steps within the pardons section that must be followed before there can be a pardon. Uh, the question becomes, do these steps uh limit the constitutional power given the president? Must they be taken into consideration? You know, we have freedom of speech, but you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. No right is absolute. There's always an exception. Are these an exception? And let me go over those four briefly and quickly with you. The person seeking the pardon must apply for it. Arpaio never applied for anything. The president signed some kind of paper and gave it to him saying, you're pardoned. The man never made formal application. Five years must have elapsed from the time of conviction. Arpaio just got convicted three weeks ago. Nowhere close to five years having elapsed. The person seeking the pardon 
must admit responsibility for the crime, must admit that they were responsible for the crime. Arpaio has never admitted responsibility. In fact, he keeps, he's been saying since the day he was arrested, he's innocent. This was a political witch hunt that put him in this position, and that's why the judge convicted him. And finally, the applicant, which would be Arpaio in this case, must show remorse, remorse for having committed the crime. Where has he shown any remorse? He still says he, he, he never, he's not, it wasn't a criminal act what he did. He didn't do what they accused him of. He has shown he's not been contrite, uh, but yet the president pardons him. None of these rules were followed, the pardon section rules. Now, when Trump did this, or do, does it, he shows no respect, no respect for the pardons procedure which, again, has been followed by all our modern presidents. This is another example, and I say this with all due respect uh, to those of you who disagree with me. This is another example, however, of Trump spitting in the face of the federal judiciary. Think how many judges, federal judges, he's taken on in the last two years. Uh, Trump believes he's the law. He believes he's above the law. He's omnipotent. Uh, he doesn't understand. The Constitution says there are three equal branches, uh, executive, which is him, legislative Congress, and the judiciary, which is the court system. Uh, he thinks he's the boss of the other two, and he's not equal to, but better than and superior to. Uh, now, Arpaio isn't helping the situation at all. He announced today, he just got his pardon a few days ago, he announced today that he's going to go to court and have his conviction vacated. You understand it? What they do is he'll go to court and say, I'm not guilty. This pardon says I'm not guilty. I want you to clean it off the books as if it never happened. And the law permits vacation uh, of these things if there's proper grounds. I don't think he's going to succeed because I don't think it was right in giving him the pardon to begin with. Uh, now, there's another situation here. And they were talking about it today on TV on one of the talk shows, and I found it very interesting. Suppose Trump does have this omnipotent power. He, his power is absolute granting pardons. That means with regard to the Russia investigation or anything else he's being investigated for, he can pardon himself. I don't know. He can pardon his family members, probably. He can pardon anyone he wants that was involved in this, probably. Unless, uh, and if that's the case, that he does have this pardon power, and this is still being researched by both sides, then how is he held responsible for his wrongdoing? Because I can't believe the American people on his side or against him right now would accept something like that, him, him, free, him uh, absolving himself and his family from liability if they have it for wrongdoing in this matter. And they were saying that, well, you know, uh, the pardons procedure own, and pardoning by the president only applies to federal crimes. All the crimes he, he would ultimately be charged with started at the state level, and then they become federal crimes. He can be indicted. He can be investigated, charged, indicted, and tried in state court under state laws. So where the hell is he going? Uh, raises an interesting question, too, if that's correct. Uh, there's all kinds of legal questions here. Just wanted to share all of this with you and to t share with you that I think Arpaio and what Trump did in giving him the pardon is wrong, wrong, wrong. Let's talk about Muslims. Let's talk about India. 
I, I wrote about this. Oh, I wrote about. I wrote a column on this several years ago in Conk Life. Uh, under Islamic law, if a man wants to divorce his wife, all he has to do is look at her and say, "I divorce you three times. I divorce you. I divorce you. I divorce you." It's called in the language triple talaq. T a l a q. Triple triple talaq. Uh, now. India is a Muslim nation. Most of the people are Muslim. Uh, they have other religions. And up to this time, uh, that's the way you divorced your wife if you were a man. By the way, if the women wanted a divorce from the husband, they can't look at him in the face and say, I divorced you three times. They have to go to court. They have to hire a lawyer. They have to have witnesses. And the whole system is set up to take about three years for a woman to get a divorce. All right. India's Supreme Court last week said that this procedure is unconstitutional. I divorce you three times and says they're on equal footing. They go to court and they fight it out in front of a judge. The woman can get alimony support and support for the children because under the three rule, I divorce you, I divorce you, the husband, the wife gets nothing initially for anybody. And that's why this is important to the wives. Interestingly, Saudi Arabia and another Islam country uh, also have gotten rid of the I divorce you. And this shocks me that Saudi Arabia has because Oh, they defecate on women. They don't even let them drive. Anyhow, that's the show for this week. Hope you enjoyed. Join me again next week. In the meantime, I'm doing a live video on Facebook every day, one, two, three minutes, talking about anything that moves me at the moment. Uh, take a look at it. It's under Key West Lou Live. It's on Facebook. Thank you again for joining me. I will be with you next week.